0: Second and Victory. Welcome to the Second and Victory podcast. Austin Nelson here with my friends Brett Bachelor and Chris Carter. What's up guys?
1: How's it going? What's up guys? How we doing?
0: Good. Just catching these uh, NBA finals. you all been watching
2: these? Sure. Absolutely. Of course. I'm a, I'm a I'm a Memphis guy, man, so I'm pulling for my boy Mart Margasall. Oh,
1: yeah, fair, that's fair.
2: If, if, we, if he gets one, I mean, I feel like the whole city of Memphis gets one, so I, I'm I pulling agree. for him.
0: It's a pretty cool deal. Well, listen, we're hiding somebody from the, from the audience right now, uh, a guy that is really near and dear to our hearts, and a guy that we all uh, respect and admire, uh, Mr. Rhett Bryan from Titans Radio, the executive producer and game day host. What's going on,
3: Mr. Bryan? Gentlemen, how are we tonight? We doing good? i Fantastic. Very good, very good. Women. I, uh, I, I have watched a little bit of the finals here and there, and I'm enjoying that. I've just watched bits and pieces. I've got to tell you, though, I'm the I'm the papaw old man of this conversation, and I can tell you, <laughs> uh, there was nothing better than this time of the year and watching Celtics, Celtics, and Lakers when I was growing up. Oh man, was it good! Hall of Famers everywhere you look.
2: Don't so get, get Austin going on the Celtics now. Oh, my
3: God, man. I mean, it was, un, you know, and it was, they were barn burner scores. I mean, it was like final and double overtime, 147 to 146, or whatever, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was some good stuff. Kawhi Leonard, man, that's, uh, that's a big deal. A big deal uh, for Toronto.
1: He's almost become the best player in <laughs> history in one
3: season. Yes. Agreed.
1: I just feel like
0: the NBA, we're kind of starting to see the, The end of the LeBron era, as sad as that is um, for me, just being a big, big LeBron fan ever since the day he uh, he started. Uh, And I've always been a Kevin Durant guy too, but uh, you're kind of seeing other guys pick up LeBron's weight, especially this season without him in the playoffs. So you're seeing Giannis and you're seeing Kawhi step up really big. And even though KD's out, he had a big playoffs before the injury. So it's kind of cool to see what life's going to be like in the NBA after LeBron.
1: But uh, it kind of does suck to not see him in here too. It's, it's it's a big deal for the Raptors tonight too because Clay Thompson's out, Kavon Looney's out, and and so is KD. So tonight's a tonight's a big night to try and get a big win for the Raptors. Well, look, we're here to talk football and talk a little bit of Titans. <laughs> and, and
0: Red, honestly, like I I was at work earlier. And just thought of some questions to ask you. You know, we'll dive into the Titans in a little bit, but. Yeah, I mean, you have one of the cooler jobs, you know, there is. When, when you're a Titans fan, you, you, you listen to Titans radio. You listen to Mike Keith and uh, Coach Mack and before that, Frank and, and, you know, Larry Stone and all those guys that we've grow, grown up on listening to. But kind of tell us a little bit, for the people that don't know, you know, you're called a spotter. Is that correct?
3: Yeah, during the game, that's, uh, that's my technical uh, job in the booth. And, and here's – let me let – me, sh- give you a little history without going too long on this part of it. But I was, I started, uh, Larry Stone hired me in the summer of 97 to start covering the Tennessee Oilers. And, uh, when I started traveling on the road, it was 99 first year of Titans. And I was Mike's spotter for a long time, uh, up into, up until 2014. And then Larry Stone left, uh, the the network and he he has radio stations in cookville and has a really nice uh complex and building and and four radio stations but anyway um i was very fortunate enough to get the executive producer and game day host job and so i kind of slid into that chair and then we had uh, uh something happened last summer where uh, brad willis the the program director of 104.5 the zone his his wife was diagnosed with lymphoma And so we weren't sure how much he was going to be able to travel with us and everything else. So we thought, well, let's shift personnel. And that way if he can't travel because she's getting treatment or whatever, we'll have a game plan. And so we, in the preseason, Jonathan Hutton moved in my chair. I moved back to spot for Mike, which is something he was really, really happy about. And Amy Wells of TitansOnline.com moved to the sidelines to help us out. And it turned out that everything's great with, brad and his wife and her health and everything and he didn't miss any time but after preseason we were like okay this isn't broken let's not fix it let's just keep it like it is um and I, i'm i'm very comfortable being down there between mike and, and coach Mack and kind of like helping them keep uh on you know going up to speed with what's going on during the game and of course i'm all the time handing them readers and and sponsors and all that kind of stuff during the game and uh you know, making sure that we're all on point there. But, yeah, it's a spot. You know, he's got a numerical roster in front of him, and I'm pointing to who made the tackle, forced the fumble, pick, whatever. Mike watches offense. I watch defense, and I watch (laughs) special teams, and I watch anything else that he didn't get. And sometimes that comes into play, Uh, just like in week one last year in Miami. Uh, At that stadium, at Hard Rock Stadium, they moved all of the radio booths uh, down into the corner, and they, just like all old stadiums do, they made those all those old radio suites, they made them uh, into luxury boxes and suites because you know, it's all about the money. So Miami is without a doubt now the worst angle in the league. It's like calling a baseball game, and we're on the opposite side of the field, and when you get you know to a play that's at the far corner opposite side from where we are, it need, you need some extra eyes to see some stuff. And so, uh, it worked out well, uh, and just went forward. So I have been back in that role all season, last season, then going to do that again. Of course, I'll do, you know, uh, locker room interviews that, uh, we'll play in post game, but I host the Titans countdown with Jonathan Hutton. And then he hosts, uh, halftime and post game and does all the scoreboards in between. And, and we kind of just pick up the slack wherever we go. But, uh, and that deal in Miami, my <laughs> gosh! I hope I never do that again. It was uh, seven hours and what, seven hours and eight minutes that was long, long. I think so. And we were on the air. The- uh, yeah, I, I remember. Know. I
1: listened to that entire game on the radio because where I was, it didn't come on TV. And it was, it was probably, it, I mean, for sure, like y'all was too. It was the wildest game I would ever listened to on the radio.
3: Yeah, it. Uh, and here's the thing: we were prepared for a weather delay. We had been for, you know. A while. And right. and I'll tell you what kind of spawned that deal. Um, University of Tennessee Vol Radio, the Vol Network had a lightning delay right. a few years before, and they they weren't prepared for it. And I I, I, I can't remember what happened, and I'm not sliding their product at all because Vol, Vol Network is big and always has been, but we were like, man, we don't want to be caught like that. And so we all had, you know, little... Uh, evergreen canned interviews to use in spaces so we you know we were playing we had enough for about a 45 minute weather delay not two different two-hour weather delays and uh, you know I'd done a really lengthy interview with Earl Campbell uh, previously and we kind of split split that up into stuff and but we're (laughs) now here's the thing this and you were very nice to say what you did Austin about Titans Radio but we're prepared for a much longer weather delay with a, hopes that we never, ever have to, to use it again. We've got some lengthy interviews with Amy Adams-Strunk and some of the other ballplayers. And so, you know, we could go that long if we needed to. But what was really crazy yeah. is when Bob Greasy and Jimmy Cephalo and the, the Dolphins radio guys came down into our booth about an hour into the first lightning delay, and like, what What in the hell are y'all doing? And What are you talking about? You know, they had already pitched back to their – studio show in Miami, wherever that is. And they were taking phone calls or whatever. And like, we're we're, we're talking ball and we're talking about, you know, anything we can and what the weather looks like and what's going on. But uh, that was nuts to say the least.
1: You had mentioned uh, um, Amy Wells coming onto the team and being a sideline reporter. And obviously she does the OTP with Mike Mm -hmm how how well and like how well does she do and how easy did she slide
3: into the transition of, of joining Titans radio and being a sideline reporter well you know she had a little bit of a trial with us once before in november of 2016 when we were in san diego playing the chargers uh frank could not make it and so hutton called, called it was the color analyst for that game and um Amy Wells was on the sideline, so she had done one game with us. But uh, you know, we kind of just coached her up and coached her through, and she was in a pretty good spot by the time the preseason was over. And I guess that was good because we went to her one more times in that one game in Miami, and we won. That we probably would all year long. I mean, I think she did <laughs> probably twenty-five reports that day. Uh, I mean, in fact, she was on so long, I actually went down during the one of the lightning delays and replaced all the batteries in her wireless. Uh, equipment oh, wow. because they, they were you know burning up and 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 i didn't want her to lose power and of course i come down there and here's brett kern with a tablet and he's looking at the radar and he's got bo brinkley and ryan Suckup, and they're all looking at the weather patterns because uh, we all know you know brett kern is a, a huge weather nerd like i am actually yeah. he would he would have been a meteorologist had football not worked out for him and he may do that post-career but, uh, golly, that was nuts. But she she made a good transition. Um, and I tell you, the OTP, now that's her baby. That was her hey. idea. Wow. And she had been pushing for Mike and, and the Titans to do a podcast. And that thing's her baby. And that, that, that's, a, that's a good pod. It's a good content. And now they have that nice studio to do it out of and production and everything else. And uh, if you're a Titans fan, that's a, that's a good spot to go subscribe to that one for sure. The One thing about the OTP that I really like is
1: like, if, if you don't want to listen to it, you can still go on Twitter or YouTube and actually watch the show. Mm-hmm. And which I think is really cool. Cause then you could see the studio and the work they put into it as well.
2: Yeah. The, the road to the draft video coverage was just phenomenal. I mean, some of the guests they brought on and, and just the continued coverage and the, I think they did the two weeks leading up to the draft, if I'm not mistaken. Um, that was, it was fantastic. And, and like you said, as a Titans fan, like that's the kind of content that I, I just fully love to just dive into.
3: Well, and not only that, I mean, you, you mentioned it, Brett, with the video portion of it. They got to where they're showing, they'll show some highlight videos or they'll show a still of a player. So there's a visual effect with all of that. But i tell you what else has made that podcast good, and it's the same thing that's made Titan Radio good, and that's Coach Dave McGinnis. When you have a former head coach that is involved and is gracious enough and generous enough to share his knowledge, it brings things up a notch. And every time he's on there, I think they call it the Mac and three because it's him and Amy and Jim Wyatt and Mike Keith. Uh, he, he, you know, he's just a wealth of knowledge and a fantastic person and it just uh, is very generous with – with all of his knowledge.
0: Speaking of podcast and equipment and studio, have you listened to Busting with the Boys
3: yet? I will admit to you, fellas, that I followed Busting with the Boys as soon as I saw it come up on the radar on Twitter. <laughs> and I have heard uh, all of the pods they've dropped so far. And I have uh, saw all the, the trailers and everything they did. <laughs> And I tell you, I, honestly, I think they're onto something there. The only thing I would be concerned about is, um, you know, what happens when football season gets here, and, think, and does, yeah. you know, if Will Compton gets a job somewhere else, that's going to kind of, you know, crash that party. But I think the content has been good. I think the most endearing thing about that podcast is that it is conversational. It's organic. It's not scripted. Uh, the guys are asking some pretty good questions. Now the the producer and programmer and radio person in me, what, the only critique I would offer at all is that they could use a little structure and formatting. They could use a little place to get in and out, and they could even have some things they could grow off of that podcast, where they would have a a feature, you know, like uh and I'm this is just a poor example, but a you know a, a hot seat questions for the person that the, is their guest or. Whatever, but the fact that they had the idea, they saw this bus from the production company uh, that's sitting behind their office, and it's this whole Dale Earnhardt Jr. bus, uh, <laughs> and they, you know, bought the bus for six hundred bucks and tricked it out with all the studio equipment. Amazing! Um, it's I, I, it's enjoyable. Uh, it I is. think they, they talk over one another, and I don't expect them to be broadcasters because because they're football players. But I've enjoyed <laughs> what I've heard so far. It's entertaining.
2: We talked a little bit about this offline, but uh, Rhett, can, can you kind of share your perspective on, on uh, a, you know, a, a guest like Arthur Smith, you know, and what that kind of does for fans?
3: Well, it, 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 first of all, it shows the <laughs> a little bit of pull that Lawan and, and Will Compton have as being, you know, part of the organization uh, and that he would come on, but, uh, you know, have the offensive coordinator come on. And sit down with them and for an hour and forty some odd minutes, whatever it was, and and listen for Titans fans. I would I would urge you to go listen to what they the conversation that they had with Arthur Smith just for a couple of reasons. You learn about Arthur Smith. You learn about his work ethic. You learn that his father is Fred Smith, the founder of of FedEx, and that he would didn't have to work a day in his life, but his parents were always hard workers and wanted to instill that work ethic and good values into him and make him, you know, he's a self-made man. And, and that's what I think is in, incredible all, about all this. Um, because I, I know for a long time, guys like Delaney Walker and some others were like, wait a minute, his dad is who, <laughs> and, you know, he, he, you know, why are you out here coaching? Well, it's because he wants to. And, um, but you learn about the guy, the man, and just you know how cool he is and you learn how smart he is and arthur smith i listen this is way early this is june and we're not into training camp or anything else but i think arthur smith is going to do a fantastic job with this titans offense the guy has been in that building since 2011 and i'll tell you this coach dave mcginnis loves him just like everybody else does he people forget when he came in, he was a, a quality control guy and was on the defensive side of the ball. In fact, Coach McGinnis would have him stand up and deliver kind of what the defensive game plan was each week and and address the team. He said, I, "Coach Mac said I didn't need any uh, practice with all that stuff. I've been there, done all that, and I thought enough of him and knew he was smart enough he could deliver the news. And so, you know, he flips the offense and then he." You know, he survives, what, one, two, three, four, four head coaches, five head coaches, whatever it is. Um, and you don't do that by being a good lap dog, as Coach Mack would say. You, you don't do it because you're you're nice. You do it because you're a hard worker, you're respected. And, you know, think about it. I mean, he's been through, um, you know, Ken Wisenhunt, and uh, then um, he was an assistant, you know, with – Mike Mallarkey. Mullarkey's elevated and makes him tight ends coach. And, you know, so here comes Mike Vrabel, and Mike Vrabel likes him well enough and keeps him around. And, um, you know, he's a, he he'll, you're not going to outwork him. He's in that building constantly. And I'm interested to see what he's got up his sleeve. Now, I don't think the Titans' offense will be vastly different than what we saw last year with Matt LaFleur because – you don't you only have so much time to kind of build a playbook, and usually if you're his first time o c you're going to draw things that have worked from whoever you worked with pre previous mm-hmm. it's a culmination of, of things that make your playbook and I'm sure he'll have his own flair on all, all that stuff Um, but because he and I, the other thing is the simplification of some of the the jargon in terms of the play calling. I think that'll help Marcus I think that'll help a lot of people. But uh, I'm excited to see what he brings to the table. He's a fantastic person, and he's a very smart guy. And I, I think he's got a lot of good weapons to work with. We'll just have to see what happens.
1: Is there a, is there a chance we ever see you hop on the bus like Arthur Smith did?
3: Well, that would <laughs> have to be up to uh, Taylor One <laughs> and Will Compton. Um, I, you know, I would probably do that, um, but I, don't, uh, I think they'd get a lot better guests than me. So,
0: <laughs> it's it's just cool to to listen to, just kind of hearing, you know, two guys that play for your favorite team and hearing their personality and their stories and, and, and having guests on, like, Arthur Smith. I think they had Kevin Byard on the night, so that episode should be, you know, coming out here soon, which is very exciting for nice um, us MTSU graduates and, and, you know, Titans fans in general. Go Blue Raiders. <clears throat> That's right. But kind of aside from that, I think, I mean, Going, talking about, you know, you're at OTAs. You're at, you're at the facility, you know, a lot of often, more often than we are. And you've been watching, you know, some of these new guys and whatnot. Who is a player or two that has kind of caught your eye and you're like, you know what, this guy can make plays for the Titans on Sunday?
3: Well, I think it starts with – I always am looking at some of the free agents they brought in, you know, in March. But I'm cert, most certainly looking at undrafted rookie free agents. Uh, but I'll, I'll start with – Uh, one veteran in particular, and that's Brent Urban that they signed the week of the draft, who played for Dean Pease in Baltimore. The dude is a mountain. I mean, he's 6'7", 300. Uh, He played with Darius Jennings in college at Virginia, Um, was a hockey player. He's from uh, Mississauga, Ontario, Canada, I think, and played youth hockey and played it pretty well. In fact, he played youth hockey with with Ryan Ellis of the Predators when they were kids. Uh, But he's always been a big dude. I think when he was – I don't know. I think I read somewhere that when he was like seven, eight years old, he was already five feet tall and about 90 pounds, uh, you know. So he's just this big, big dude. And you heard Dean Pease last week talk about um, that a Brent Urban not only was brought in because he knows his his defense, but that he does the dirty work. He doesn't do the things – he does the things that not always bring him to the limelight and uh i think he's a stopgap for probably when when Jeffrey Simmons is ready but he is a huge human being and uh, <laughs> he, you know, he's a vet he's been in the league 6 years like the 7th year for him so he he stands out just by sheer size but let me tell you of the undrafted rookie free agents i've got three or four guys and you know we know there was a handful that contributed last year and i think that's why that's on your radar because you had your Surrey Finches and your Cameron Batsons and those guys. Um, but a couple that's immediately on my radar is Anthony Ratliff-Williams, the wide receiver for yes. North Carolina. And yep. uh, A.R. Dub, I think they call him, is, <laughs> um, you know, he's a decent-sized receiver. Like, he's six six one, about 205. Um, and had a decent career at North Carolina. I want to say, let's see, I've got some notes in front of me. Yeah. Well, hey, while you're really looking at that,
0: right? I uh, yeah, randomly, I had a uh, college fantasy football team this season. Um, okay, I was asked to do it, and uh, I actually had uh, A R Dub on my team, and uh, he put up massive numbers week after week. And I think he had some, he did some stuff in the return game as well. So he's very versatile. Just to kind of piggyback off you,
3: and Austin, you're exactly right, and that's one reason why I look at him as a possible person to make the roster if he does things right. And I know we have Darius Jennings, but you're right. 32 games over three seasons, uh, 80 catches for 1,340 yards, eight touchdowns. Originally came to North Carolina as a quarterback and converted to wide receiver. But 1,631 kickoff return yards and two of those for touchdowns. At his pro day, uh, 4 4 6 in the 40-35-inch vertical leap. 14 reps at 225, was not invited to the Combine, so he's got a chip on his shoulder. But I like him just because of what you said. He, he's versatile. He can help you in the return game. And we all know that, you know, when, you're, when you latch onto um, a roster in, at this level of football, you better be versatile and be able to do it. And, you know, Brable keeps preaching that. You better be able to multitask. And I think that's why we're seeing a guy like Tajay Sharp in year four starting to try to learn how to play special teams because he doesn't right now. And he's going to need that to probably be able to hang on to a roster spot. Um, another one that gets my attention is Derek Roberson, the, the pass rusher from Sam Houston state and Derek Roberson, uh, four-star candidate, four-star uh, recruit out of uh little town in Texas. And played uh, sparingly as a redshirt freshman, I guess for for Texas for the Longhorns. Transferred to Sam Houston State, and you know what you want to see with a smaller college uh, outfit like that is dominance, and he did. He had uh, school record fifteen quarterback sacks last year. Uh, I think he holds the the season record for that, and you know absolutely showed he could you know get after it in that conference, as small a school and you know, conferences, that is, in terms of play. And that – he was a finalist for the Buck Buchanan Award, which is, you know, the Defensive Player of the Year in FCS or FB uh, – Division Two is what I'm used to calling it. Um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, he's 6'4", 250, and at his pro day, 4'5", 8", in the 40. Uh, decent vertical leap. but he's, he's a guy that could help just because uh, the depth – or lack thereof, in my opinion, at the, the pass rusher spots. Because you've got Cameron Wake, who's 37, and is a physical freak, as you will see. He looks like a Batman suit. He looks like a superhero. Um, <laughs> and then Harold Landry, who we talked to yesterday, who he looks like he's put on about 10 pounds of bulk. He looks fantastic. Yes. Yes. Um, and talking about him you know, having more than just a fastball, Pitch in terms of coming off that edge and, and having some change-ups in his repertoire, so that he can get after it. Um, and then the other one I've got in my eye uh, is Alex Barnes from can- from Kansas State, and he's uh, you know running back, six foot, two twenty-six, and he had he was a just a stud at the combine. That dude had 34 reps at two twenty-five, most by any running back uh, in Indianapolis, saw him do that personally. I went to cheer, year, and he was impressive. 38-and-a-half-inch vertical leap, four-five-nine in the 40. So it's not a burner burner, uh, but he had a 10-foot, 6-inch broad jump. So he's got some versatility there. Kansas State, Bill Snyder's program, he played for Bill Snyder. They always pride themselves in special teams play, even though he didn't do it a lot on field, practiced it all the time. <clears throat> I think the last time he'd done it uh, is like his freshman year in college. But he's somebody that's got my attention. And, again, if he can play special teams, you know, David Flewellen might be in trouble. Um, But I look at some guys like that, and they have my attention. Now, in terms of the draft class, listen, A.J. Brown should contribute immediately. The guy's a hoss. He looks like a linebacker slash running back or whatever. He's so big. Amani Hooker is one that I'm telling you guys, he will be pushing someone for playing time. On into his rookie season, he can help them immediately.
1: Yeah, Chris is really big on Amani Hooker. Um, we kind of talked it. about it too when we were on the uh, the General Jackson Showboat before the the second round of the draft. And Mister Mister, like you talked about earlier, Mister Jonathan Hutton was there too, and he was kind of asking us who we thought the Titans were going to go with in the second round. And I I kind of hinted at receiver just because I thought that that's what we might go. And we weren't yeah. necessarily sure we might go defense, we might go receiver, and obviously we ended up going up, going with A.J. Brown, which I think everybody was happy with. What was it that necessarily that the, that the organization went through that, that drew them to A.J. Brown and why everybody was so excited to, to, grab, to grab him in the second round?
3: Well, you know, he was a top 30 pre-draft visit, so they had some time to work with him, talk to him face-to-face, bring him to the facility and look at everything and um I, I think that's part part of you know the the a big part of this process in pre-draft evaluation. But he um you know he he's got a great personality, seems like a great kid. And I, I think when it comes down to and this is coming from the Coach Mack School of Technology here. Uh, I spent most of the, the spring working with Coach Mack, looking at how you build a draft board, just like they do in a war room. And you build it vertically, and that's by who you think is where, by position, and then you go horizontally. And horizontally is when you put players into pods, and you might have four, five players that you have a similar grade on, similar talent on, And these guys I like, and I like them at this spot in the draft. And you have worked out, John Robinson has worked out all these scenarios prior to the draft. That way, when it's happening, it's not chaotic. It's not like draft day with Kevin Costner. You've got most of your things mapped out. And I think when they got to 51 and that dude still sitting there when they probably had a first-round grade on him, they said, why in the world would we not take this guy? And I think that's probably what it came down to as much as anything. We are with
0: Rhett Bryan from Titans Radio. Follow him on Twitter, at Rhett B. Tennessee. Very clever
3: name there, Rhett. <laughs> that was actually a Mike Keith suggestion. He goes, when I got I like on Twitter, it. he said, hey, he said, what about at Rhett B. Tennessee? I said, I like it. Rolls off the tongue. It's good it's stuff. Awesome. Let's <laughs> do that.
2: So, Rhett, one of, you know, one of the groups that gets me most excited about uh, with the future of this team is is our linebacking core. Um Having, having the four guys that we have that are, you know, going into their second or third year, and, and uh, Jayon and, and Landry and and Rashawn and Sheree Finch, like these guys could really be the
3: core of the future.
2: Um, what do you see out of that position group moving forward, and what kind of growth do you think we can expect from those guys?
3: Well, I think the only question, and I would never count him out just like I wouldn't count out – Um, a Delaney Walker coming back and being a hundred percent and just doing what he does at age 35. But Wesley Woodyard who every year somebody tries to count him out he comes out busts his rear end and goes in there and, you know, makes things happen again. He is the old dog in that group, the lumberjack as he likes to call himself, the Woodyard. Um, and, And he has paid such dividends in bringing those young kids along and, Don Brown and Rashawn Evans. But I think you're right. There's a lot of talent uh, at, at that linebacking core that you really like. And I, I'm going to be honest. I'm almost as excited of, uh, about year two for Rashawn Evans as I am anybody else you could point to. Uh, just because you saw how he came on so strong once he got healthy. In, towards the stretch last year, um, the guy gets it. He's a ball player. He looks like a ball player. He plays like a ball player. Jayon Brown, uh, you can't say enough about him. Um, and, and then the kid they took in the draft late this year, David Long from West Virginia. He, he was an absolute terror at at West Virginia. I mean, he was, he was the only back in Division One that led team and Quarterback sacks and uh, tackles for loss and tackles of any team in Division One college football. And, and he's, a, he's a wolf now. That's what they've been looking for, and he's a wolf. You know, um, I, I've ahead. heard some
2: comparisons with with him to, to Jayon, but, I, you know, honestly, I see a little wet Wesley Woodyard in his game.
3: I'll tell you who else I see in his game is in terms of how he's going to contribute immediately with special teams is that's, that's Darren Bates' replacement. That's that's who he is right now. In terms of the outside linebackers, you know, here's another one that I haven't talked about is DeAndre Walker from Georgia. The guy is a little undersized to be an outside linebacker at 6'2", 251, but he will play bigger than he is because of his reach. He has, I want to say his wingspan's like 82 and a half inches. And he, I mean, he can reach around a corner and take a quarterback and I, I'm excited to see what he does and how much he comes along in this thing. I'm excited to see what a Sharif Finch will do in year 2. Uh Sharif Finch I think is is a, a raw untapped talent in this thing that could probably be uh, a contributor in this thing for sure. Um there's some talent there. I'm I'm with you. I I like the the linebacking core and uh I, I'm a little concerned about the outside depth but uh, sometimes those things always have a way of working themselves. out.
0: I've been, I've been telling some friends lately, um, on paper, okay, I'm saying this, I mean, very lightly, on paper, this is one of the better Titans teams
3: we've seen in many, many years. Many, many years. Austin, I wouldn't disagree. And, of course, you know, we can all get caught up at Paper Lions, as they call them, uh, just looking at a roster, but – Golly, I mean, you think about, I mean, I'm looking right now at a roster and let's just start on defense and let's work our way in and back out the other side. start with the second. You've got Logan Ryan, Mal- Kenny Vaccaro, Monty Hooker, Kevin Byer, Dane Crookshank, Adoree Jackson, Lashawn Sims. Uh, and you still have Ty Smith. You still got, Kareem Orr from Chattanooga, who played out in Arizona. Um, I mean, there's some real talent there. And we talked about the linebackers. There's Harold Andring in year two, Cameron Wake. Uh, you've got all these guys. Riley Bullough is the guy we featured yesterday. Christian Caposi, uh, one of my interns, interviewed him. He's a guy that was kind of a hard knock dude a couple of years ago. Um, and then you look at the, the, the D line. I mean, you've got Daquan Jones, Austin Johnson, Brent Urban, Jarrell Casey, um, Jeffrey Simmons. There's a lot of talent there. And then let's go inside out on the offense. The fact that you have gotten better at this, the inside of your line, I think is huge. Roger Saffold is going to make Ben Jones and Taylor better just because he's there and he's a veteran and he's played every position on his career except for center. And right guard, you know, I think Kevin Palmfield's probably the guy that's going to have that job to begin with until Ned Davis comes along. Um, but either of those prospects at right guard is huge. I think the question mark is Jack and what's going on with him and his health. Uh, but you have Dennis Kelly to plug right in right there. Um, that offensive line, pretty dang solid. And I've, I've, I've thought for a while now, Guard play is is one of the kind of the Achilles heels to the thing in the last couple of years, and that is no slight towards Quentin Spain at all. Quentin Spain held off what little um, competition they threw at him uh, for that left guard spot, and he beat out whoever it was. Every hey, that's good for him, and that's not his fault. Uh, I did not agree with the Josh Klein's signing of an extension, and obviously John Robinson, go. Um, I think my only concern on offense is probably the depth at tight end. I thought the Titans should have taken a tight end in the later rounds. And I do not mean one to replace Delaney Walker. I meant a big tight end for the blocking part. Stocker is in Atlanta now. and I, In fact, I liked, the guy I liked for that type of uh, a blocking tight end um, was the kid from LSU, Foster Moreau. Who's a good inline blocker, but a good athlete, and could have, you know, helped in the in the passing game. Uh, I, you know, you've got Michael Pruitt, you've got John O. Smith, Delaney Walker, and Firkser, uh, and then you've got Keith Towbridge that they got that had his eight weeks with the AAF, uh, with the Atlanta uh, Legends or whatever. Um, but look at the running back core. I mean, you've got Henry and Lewis, Wellen, Barnes. Um, your special teams. Demons are there and Brinkley and Suckup and Kern. And then your wide receiving core is probably as good as maybe they've ever had. I mean, you know right off the bat that Corey Davis, Adam Humphreys, and uh, A.J. Brown are your first three guys and then start picking from there. But, yeah, there's, there's a lot of talent on this thing. But here's the thing. John Robinson's been building it for four years. That's – Austin, the one thing that you'll get out of – of this you'll agree talked about how good they look on paper this is going to be one of the first years when, at the end of training camp before the regular season starts where you will see guys released that are not necessarily a name but they're going to go contribute to other rosters uh, and, and make significant contributions in some cases and that's a sign of getting better um, but yeah the, the roster looks good we just have a few questions And I think most of them are on offense and surrounding quarterback. I don't have many questions about the defense of this thing. Uh, With Dean Pease coming back, that's a huge deal. People talk about Arthur Smith getting elevated to OC so that it can have continuity for Marcus in the offense. That is 100% correct. But Dean Pease coming back and these guys that were all here last year having another year under his defensive uh, playbook and system is huge. Huge. And I think the pass rush is my only question out of this. And I, it's just because we don't know uh, if, if Harold Landry is going to have that change up pitch and we don't know what the pitch count on Cameron Wake is going to be at 37 years old. I think those things work themselves out as well, but yeah, I'm excited for prospects for
1: sure. You you mentioned the the, the defensive line. We kind of talked about that a couple, a couple weeks ago on the last podcast that, Jarrell Casey, for the past couple years, it's pretty much been just Jarrell Casey. And you haven't seen much out of Austin Johnson, who is the second-round pick. Two years ago, Daquan Jones was having a good year until he got hurt. And last year wasn't wasn't quite the same. So I think you kind of hit it right on the nail with, with the defensive line, that being a question. But that's why I think that Cameron Wake was such a big signing as well, because it takes a little bit of a load off of Jarrell Casey. And I know that Cameron Wake's
3: older, but he's still somebody that can still be very efficient for the defensive line. Yeah, and, and to hear Cameron Wake and Mike Grable talk, there won't be a pitch count. They're going to let him go, and, and then when he starts feeling tired, I guess they'll sub him in and out. Um, and, and listen, the guy doesn't look like he's 37 years old at all. I mean, he is put together. He is a, a rock. Um, but yeah, and, and listen, in terms of that front three, That front three is going to get a lot better when a guy named Jeffrey Simmons is ready to play, and hopefully that's towards the last quarter of the season. Um, That's the thing that I don't think anyone is ready for when that happens. I mean, they took him, John Robinson took him 19 overall. He wasn't even, you know, not even ready to go. And I think the dividends he's going to pay, People down the road are going to go, yeah, I guess we should have taken him at 19, even with an ACL. Uh, that is a grown man. Uh, he is as big and an imposing of a defensive lineman I've seen walk through that door probably since Albert Hainsworth. And, uh, but he is a grown man and is going to be huge for this. And I can't wait to see the dividends that a, a Jarrell Casey will get from having him up there with, with that personnel group. So, Rhett, we haven't talked about
0: much Marcus Mariota just because I feel like it's, it's, it's already talked about so much with, you know, with everybody on the radio and, and podcasts, you know, everywhere. It, it, it's such a blind man can see that it's do or die for Marcus this season. It's such a big year for him. We all know this. But I'm going to ask you a question, and I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here, and you can give me the faint answer, you can give me the media answer, whatever. <laughs> but who is the Titans quarterback in three seasons?
3: In three seasons from now,
0: three seasons (laughs) from right now. I, I This is a hypothetical question.
3: What I, I've got to be honest with you. I don't think it's anybody that's currently on the roster.
0: That's fair. Listen, that that was that's that's the point. I just I wanted to know what. I mean that's now.
3: Let me let me say this, and I'm the first person to defend the Marcus Mariota because he's a fantastic person. I think he's a good quarterback that can be better. Uh, and I think he'd tell you the same thing in terms of consistency. Uh, but I think the interior of that line has been a problem. And certainly him holding on to a ball and trying to make a play, extend uh, extended play, you can carve up that blame pie however you want. Uh, you know, Jim White did that piece, what, a week ago about him and, and V.Y. and McNair through four seasons. Now, McNair didn't play as much in his first four seasons – because they still had Chris Chandler in Houston, and he would come in and sub for him when he got hurt or whatever. But you look at that, the first number that jumped out in those three in that comparison was the sack, 130 sacks in four years. VY I think was 58 and Mac was 62. I mean, it's double, uh, more than double. And, you know, that's the thing that has got to improve for him to be able to, to have success. He has not played a 16-game season. And again, some of it's his fault. Some of it's the Lions' fault. Uh, you can place the blame wherever and however you want. But I'll tell you this. Um, so many people got so angry about him not playing in Week 17 against the Colts. Right. And people have this thing where they're, they mistake his kindness and being meek for being weak and that is not the case. He is as fiery a competitor as anybody in that locker room. He's as tough or tougher than anybody in that locker room. You look at the myriad of injuries that that dude had when that game was being played. Oh, my gosh. I mean, he he had a cracked vertebrae in his neck. He had torn plantar fascia on his right foot. He had a lower abdomen muscle. I mean, he had all kinds of things. He'd been beat to death. And he still wanted to play in that deal. Um, I think the durability question is probably fair. Um, durability, sure. But toughness, no, never. Um, but I'll tell you this, with those two guards being better, that's going to make the run game better. And if Derrick Henry is running good, eight's going to oh. be doing good. Uh, it's a, it's a trickle-down, reciprocal kind of thing. Um, and you're right, Austin. It's, it's a do-or-die deal. They have taken the fifth-year option on him and have not even had a whisper about an extension. It's a, a, a wait-and-see thing. And if and, he has a great year, I feel like he'll offer him something to stay. But I'm telling you, and I feel strongly about this, just because I've seen it before, if things don't go well and he gets just punished and beaten this year, it would not surprise me to see him retire and go to Hawaii and go home.
0: Oh,
3: wow. Like a a Jake Jake Locker kind of thing? Yeah, because you got to think about this now. Oh, wow. you got to think about this. And I I could certainly be wrong, and I've been wrong more times than I've ever thought about being right. But you're his age. You're not married yet. But if you get married and you have kids, you want to be able to play with them and have fun and raise your family. And You're talking about a guy that's made some good money. I mean, his rookie contract, plus this year, that's $45 million before taxes and agent fees, plus all of his endorsement deals with Beats by Dr. Dre, Nike, Subway, whatever. And he doesn't strike me as someone that's very frivolous with money. So the financial part would be easy. But if if he's beat up like he was last year at the end of the year, that wouldn't surprise me. It would not surprise me at all. I hope that that's not the case. I hope that he plays lights out, and I hope that the decision is tough and John Robinson has to make that decision and, and, you know, offer him an extension or whatever. He's got some big decisions coming up, period. I mean, Kevin Byard's going to be a free agent. Derrick Henry's going to be a free agent. You mentioned Austin Johnson. I mean, there's a list of them. You – dang, that's crazy.
1: You you mentioned the wide receivers a second ago talking about – Tajay Sharp and how he's going to have to to learn special teams and stuff like that. I know a guy who used to play for the Cardinals. He's with the Seahawks now, but he was always the 3-4 the guy for the Cardinals. And, but he was a gunner on special teams every single time, on punts and on kickoffs and all that. And he's essentially the same thing with the Seahawks now. He's a 3-4 receiver and still a gunner on punts and kickoffs and stuff like that. Is that something that you think Tajay Sharp essentially – has to do if he wants to keep that spot? Because like you were talking about earlier with Austin, AR Dub could could technically come in and and take that fifth spot away from Tajay if they decide not to keep five or six receivers.
3: Well, let me say this, and and you hit the nail on the head. How many receivers do they keep? And that goes out to how many do they keep on the O-line? You know, it's a numbers game. Now, Tajay Sharp, let me say this. I ain't counting him out, not counting him out at all. I agree. Uh, If anybody in the world – could count him out. He'd be the person to make the roster, you know, uh, yeah, out of that receiving group with no problem at all. I just know that the more that this team is maturing and guys are getting up in age and contract and those kinds of things, you're going to have to make yourself diverse. You're going to have to uh, do more than just uh, what you do in your position group. And 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 I think you know it was asked. You know, Mike Mike Vrabel was asked about it yesterday because we're starting to see him. Uh, you know, take a little run at, at playing some teams. Uh, I wouldn't say that it's the end-all be haul as, as how he makes this roster or not, that that's the deciding factor. But I, I'll tell you this, it wouldn't hurt him if he, you know, starts to learn to, to do something on special teams.
0: So, we'll end, we'll end with this. Um, you know, so many people hear you and you great wisdom and words on the radio about the Titans, and I can listen to you all day long about this team um but outside of football outside of the Titans right here what's one interesting thing that that you can say about Rhett, brian what's one cool thing about you that people can know about you
3: oh gosh i don't even know what that would be
0: <laughs> can, you, can you
3: can you juggle
0: can you i mean can you chug a beer like I'll be...
3: no. <laughs> no 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 The beer through a catfish yeah no no that's not really <laughs> no that's not really my deal there um You know, I guess the thing about me is I love music. I love music from the time I was a little kid. Uh, You can take away TV or anything like that all you want from me. I don't take away my music. In fact, you know, um, Mickey Ryan of 3HL and I have been talking about maybe doing a a music podcast uh, at some point. I don't know if we will. I don't know if that will work, but uh, I've thought about doing it, you know, here at home with with my wife cuz she loves music too. Uh but all the time listening to music at home and it's a good way to just kind of disconnect from stuff and and all kinds of genres. I stay in my lane pretty much with my age. I a lot of stuff 60s, 70s, 80s but I, I listen to different genres of things and and I like to try new artists from time to time. But music is is uh, very big for me, big in my. In fact, it's the reason I got into radio. Uh, I mean, I was playing now, 104.5 The Zone, all those years ago, was, was a classic rock radio station. I was a disc jockey playing records. So, you know, that's kind of where it started for me.
2: Instant subscribe if you and Mickey do a music podcast. <laughs> remote remote. Um, who would you say is your favorite band or, or artist, either one?
3: Uh, golly, it's hard to, it'd be hard to pin down into just one group or artist. I mean, I like a lot of folks. Um, I mean, a lot of the standard go-tos. Uh, you know, I love the Rolling Stones, the Who, the Beatles, anything like that. Um, you know, Eric Clapton, uh, Toto. I love the band Toto. Just I saw where they're coming to uh, the Ryman this fall. Um, you know, Queen, any any anybody like that of of the old genre. Uh, but I like old country music. Um, don't like as much new country music. Uh, the bro country stuff. I'm not, not super big on that, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I have lots of go-tos for sure. Uh,
1: I know you saw on, on Twitter earlier today that, uh, I know this is might be a little bit more personal, but Mike Herndon announced that he was, him and his wife were adopting and you, you had said that you got home from China 16 years ago today uh, with your daughter. So, I mean, first off, congratulations with that. And I know that's probably a really cool feeling to have.
3: Yeah. And I, I just, uh, I wouldn't, and that trying to make it about me, I hope it didn't come off that way. But, yeah. Know. It was so ironic that he would have that announcement on there today. Uh, because my wife had put it on my radar. She said, Hey, 16 years ago today is the day we came back from China. I'm like, wow, that's, yeah. that's awesome. I, I knew it was somewhere in this window of time because we were over there for almost two weeks and, uh, but yeah, I, it, it's the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, she'll she'll be seventeen in in September, and uh, she has been a huge, huge blessing for us. And she's a very smart, bright young lady of none of which I can take uh, credit for because it's not <laughs> my gene pool at all. But yeah, it's uh, it was it was neat seeing that that he, that he and his wife were adopting because it really hit home for me today, knowing that uh, sixteen years ago today, we brought home the, the absolute greatest thing you could ever bring home from a trip 10,000 miles in uh, In a and a human being, yeah, I mean, the minute they handed her to me, and we were all of a sudden, boom, here we are, parents, uh, never, ever forget it, milestone without a doubt, uh, and it was a long process, I mean, we, from the time we started to the time we got her, it was 22 months in time, oh. um, and so we, she wasn't even born. And we didn't see a picture of her until about uh, maybe a month, six weeks before we traveled to China.
0: Wow, awesome! And that's cool. I mean, congrats to Mike with uh, Music City Miracles. And you right, Chris might have some questions for you. He's a, he's about to be a father here soon to a baby girl.
2: Yeah, I might I might be sh- shooting you some uh, direct messages on, <laughs> on Twitter. That right?
3: That'll be just fine. Well, I'll tell you this: girls are a whole lot easier than boys. That's for sure. I don't have any, that, that Tracy's the only child we have. And I know people that have boys and I know what I put my parents through. So girls are good. You're you're in good shape there.
2: I'm in. And it's very funny exciting. too
3: because it's funny too because a lot of guys who are sports fans ends up having girls. <laughs> uh, it, it, it's really weird. It, it usually ends up that way. But congratulations. That's a daughter, man, that's that's a huge bond. Huge bond. I'll, daddy I'll make
2: sure she's a huge
3: Titans fan. Don't worry. There you that. go. There you go. <laughs> I mean
0: we got any new stuff coming out with Titans Radio? You got anything to plug
3: uh, right now? Not right this second. We're you know, I'm this is the time of the year where I gather stuff at OTAs and minicamp. Yeah. And I kinda go into what I call the salt mine in the studio and I just start slamming, putting stuff together for the season. And so I'm just working on feature ideas and kinds of things and and getting ready for the season. But uh Christian Caposi and Anna Glenn Grove, my two Interns this summer, you'll see a lot of them on social media running the accounts and doing stand-ups with players and writing blogs. And we'll have coverage for sure. But uh, you know, it's crazy. Uh, Titans play here in just almost two months. Crazy. August, August the eighth. I mean, we're right here at it. So the the time for waiting is almost over, and that just breaks my heart. I can't believe that I have to wait two more months. <laughs> I know. I know. No, I. I, I uh, it'll be here before you know it and uh you know there's a lot of stuff that has to be figured out between now and then you got a 90 master getting down to to 53 and seeing what that 53 is going to look like for the titan And man you know they got a pretty tough schedule i mean you start out three three afc games uh in a row to get things started and you know two of them division that is not going to be a cakewalk but i'll tell you this i have this feeling and it came over me a couple of 3 weeks ago just looking at the schedule and I think it's I think it's right on the money. money. Uh, going to Cleveland in week 1 I like a lot because they're the media darling everybody wants them to be the winner. They've loaded the wagons with all these free agents, Odell Beckham Jr. and everything. I'm telling you right now if there's one guy going in there and cut the pins out from under them, it's a Mike Vrabel Titans team and I'm telling you sure. they'll they'll go in there and beat them double digits and come home 1-0. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be hype. Oh, man. Wouldn't and that I, be something good, I was well, – and, re- and I'll tell you the reason I say that. It wasn't two seconds ago they were terrible. I yeah. mean, they they went, what, 1-32 in 32 under – what's his name as head coach? And then, okay. you know, Freddie Kitchens uh, took over and, and they had some success. They had don't know how to handle that yet. And the dog pound, don't get me wrong, it's a tough place to play. Those people are crazy about their football. But I'm telling you, they go in there and make things happen, get down two scores early, that place gets quiet, and you just kept pounding it and putting it on. And you can leave. And I'm telling you, I think it's a big win. I really do. Oh, I love it. I agree, though.
0: I'm I'm with you. I mean, we'll end with this. The key guys that the Browns got, you know, LBJ, and getting Jarvis Landry a year ago, they came from teams that, that didn't really win. They didn't have they didn't didn't win a whole lot New York and, and Miami. So I'm with you. They are relying on all these
3: pieces, but as a collective group, they haven't won together yet. So um The other awesome. reason and a couple of other reasons Austin I say that is how many times in week one do you see some scores and you're like, What in the world happened there? Right. You know, there's one week anomalies in this thing and week one usually is that and you know, that team might drop one one and end up being I think Cleveland will be good and it maybe even make the playoffs in that division. And don't get me wrong. Uh, the Cleveland Browns being competitive and successful in the NFL is good for the NFL. It is good for the shield, the 32 teams. It, that's good business. And I look forward to that, just not in week one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you've got all offseason to plan for those dudes. And I guarantee you, Mike Brable is turning over every rock he can look under to figure out what he did that he needs to do differently. Because, you know, I, I went back and listened to his presser, his opening presser, is when he was introduced as head coach in January of 2018, and he said, I'll, I'll, I've never done this at this level. I will make mistakes, but there won't be many of them. And when you think about the coaching job he did, he really didn't make that many mistakes. Uh-huh. I mean, you can point to a couple of things where you're like, okay, he probably wouldn't want to do that differently. But he, uh, I think he's going to be a great, coach for this franchise I really do
0: I agree well Rhett man thank you so much we can't thank you enough for coming on um and and, and hanging out with us just talking football um again for everybody listening please follow him on twitter at Rhett B Tennessee um one of the best and most genuine people you ever meet in your life um Rhett thank you so much again if you're listening you know this this podcast is the only second episode so we're still Trying to work out the kinks and whatnot, but you can find us now, thanks to Chris, and, uh, Apple Podcast and Spotify, uh, Second and Victory. So just type it in and you'll find us. Guys, it was
3: fun. Gentlemen, thank you for having me on, Austin and Brett and, and Chris. Enjoy talking to you all. And uh, best of luck in this new venture with, uh, with Second and Victory. And uh, certainly uh, you guys have – Certainly been around the Titans stuff and, and love the Titans uh, like most everybody else does. And so anybody listening to this, like, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Please. Thank you very much. Tighten up. Second and victory.